Um, I want to do a little review with you, if I might, from last week. Can we do that? I know not everybody was here last week, but uh, we talked about uh, the big sweeping plan of God through the Scripture. We looked in two different books, four different passages of Scripture, but talked about one big story that God has uh, for us and for the world uh, in Genesis and in the book of Matthew. And uh, we looked at part at the story of uh, Abram, Abraham, and uh, how God told Abraham that his blessing would come to Abraham, and that through Abraham, all peoples on the earth, through his seed, everyone on the earth would be blessed because of him. And the phrase that we, we tried to pick up and repeat was this, for us today, now we're not Abraham, we don't live in a, an old country of Ur. Uh, we live, uh, most of us, in the Bay Area, uh, Marin County, and um, here we are today. So what does it mean? And we talked about this phrase, that when the blessing of God comes to us, it must go through us. Good, you remember. When God's blessing comes to us, it must work its way through us. Because God's blessing isn't just to come and to fill your life, and that's it. God desires for your life to then in turn become a blessing to others because now you have not just your great charisma or uh, uh, particular skills. God will use those for sure. And God will fill you with particular gifts at particular times so that you can be the, the man or the woman, uh, the, the teen, the child that God wants you to be for the benefit of other people. So that the blessing of God and the message of His, uh, uh, the way that He's made a relationship possible with you and with us then has come to you, but it now must also work its way through you, right? We are like Abraham in the sense that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. Today we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. That's some selected passages there. And uh, have I lost my mic? Um, well, I'll just talk loud. I'm only preaching once today, so uh, that's all right. <laughs> Can you hear me back there? Okay, so we're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy, a really interesting book, and uh, because we've not spent a lot of time in recent uh, days there, I'd like to uh, just kind of guide us into where we pick up the particular story. Deuteronomy has two fundamental themes, and here they are. You ready? Number one is trust God, and number two is obedience to God. It's learning to trust God and then to put that trust into practice in your and my obedience to God. Jesus used the book of Deuteronomy quite a lot. I think Deuteronomy may have been, I don't know, but I think it may have been for him one of the most important books that he, he treasured and put into his heart. You'll remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. You know the three times that he responds out of the scripture, they're from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a really interesting book. It's a retelling, in some ways, of what God had done already. It's the last book of the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And it's a retelling of what God had done uh, for the people and His guidance to them. And part of what God is trying to help them and us know is as they have transitioned out of Egypt and they're moving toward the Promised Land, is that spiritually speaking, there are obstacles... But the greatest obstacles are not the Egyptian people who lay behind them, nor were it, was it the Canaanites who lay in front of them, but the greatest spiritual obstacle for them and for us is the human heart. 
It's a human heart that's not touched and changed and molded by the person and the personality of Jesus himself. And it is still true today. A heart that is reserved and set aside apart from God. You see, the people are moving with God away from Egypt into the promised land to this place that he had prepared for them. And God's desire, and he is ready to work through them to accomplish his purposes. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Then as the Lord your God commanded us, we set out from Horeb, You might remember Horeb is where they received the Ten Commandments. And we went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. So they are on the precipice of all the things that God had rescued them from. And he had set them on the boundary line to move into the inheritance that God had prepared for them, but but spiritual obstacles for them lay ahead. And the obstacles for them um, are fear and disbelief. Fear, this inner sense of wrestling that prevents us from moving forward with God, and disbelief that God actually goes with us and God goes ahead of us, and that God will provide and strengthen us as we journey with Him. These are still two of our greatest spiritual obstacles in our day today. Fear and disbelief. Fear and disbelief. Here's what the Bible says in verse 21. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Listen, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Sometimes we fear going with God. Why is that, I wonder? I think in part at least it's because we tend to prefer that which is familiar. Don't you? You like familiar foods. You like familiar music. You like familiar places. I remember the one time I was called uh, uh, here in Marin County to sit on a jury. I remember I was the very last potential jurist called up to the jury box. And I was in an unfamiliar space in the courtroom. And uh, there I was. I was called in. And I had to speak in front of this large crowd about, about your size. And the judge is there. And the two attorneys are there. And, and I was so nervous. I was sweating. My heart felt like it was, I mean, it felt like it was visibly popping my chest. I thought, how embarrassing. They're going to see my chest convulsing because my heart is beating so fast. And they asked me a question. I could hardly speak. I was so wrapped with fear because I was in an unfamiliar space. And I remember telling a friend that, and he says, but you talk to people for a living. I said, I know. But the difference is that this is familiar. This is familiar ground to me. You see, fear can well up within us when we are in familiar spaces. Familiarity can be comfortable, but it doesn't always lead to our growth. Uh, My boys and I are, we're about six pages short of finishing reading together The Hobbit. And um, what a great story. Uh, what is so amazing about it is you, you probably remember or know the story, you've seen the movies, that, that this hobbit uh, creature is called into this grand adventure. You know what his preference would have been? His preference was to stay home. 
He didn't want to go with these dwarves. He didn't want this this guy to, to bother them. He didn't want to go help them with their task ahead, their quest. But here he is. He gets swept up in this adventure. But he struggled with going and starting out with the inertia because he was leaving that which was familiar to him and stepping into something that was deeply and for him potentially gravely unfamiliar. And as the story unfolds, Bilbo Baggins finds himself in some dark places, places that are disturbing, places that are distasteful. And there he finds himself, and it's scary. But along the way, he also finds a greater purpose for his life. He also finds that he has abilities that that can be used in, in fulfilling this great adventure, and he becomes an irreplaceable part of the whole of the story. And it is so similar to our lives. It is so easy for us to draw circles around our comforts and to cling on to those comforts and to say, if I let go of these comforts or if I move somewhere or if God leads me to a place that's uncomfortable, then I don't know what I would do. But you know, sometimes comfort is the great enemy of our our growth and our ability to walk forward with God because our comforts for many of us, become the very opposite of our fear. We lack our comforts, and that's which is familiar, and fear settles in. Sometimes we can be comfortable in sinful patterns. Sometimes our sinful patterns in our life become so familiar to us that even when we know that we would be so blessed by being released from them, We don't quite know the process or we're not trusting that we can be cleansed and changed. And so we hold on to those that that sinful pattern because it's comfortable to us. It's familiar to us. And so we hold on to it, even at the detriment of our own cleansing and growth and moving forward, because we're not sure we're ready for the change of a life and a heart that Jesus wants to bring to us. Sometimes. Comfort invites us to not swim upstream, to not swim against the cultural realities that can often be around us contrary to the call of Jesus. Sometimes our comfort can make us far less willing to allow God to come and make adjustments in my life. Because if I really open my life to the fullness of God, and I I say, God, really, I'm available to you no matter what you ask of me, My life is yours. Sometimes we fear. We may give lip service to that, but in the reality of our hearts, we don't really come to a place of surrender to God because we know that God will demand and God will take and make adjustments in your life. And sometimes those adjustments will shake up that which brings comfort to you. And you don't want to release that comfort because the comfort uh, is familiar and therefore releasing it produces fear. What happens Because of the result of fear. These people are moving. They're moving from a familiar space where they had seen God and they had received the Ten Commandments and it was an amazing encounter. And now God is moving them somewhere that's from familiar to unfamiliar and they too are filled with fear. And here are the results for them and often for us that that are the consequences of fear. In verse 27, um, the Bible says, You were 
unwilling to go up and you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, listen to what they said. This is after God had delivered them out of captivity in Egypt. This is after God had taken such good care of them. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. You see, that, that's the, the consequence of fear when we allow fear to rule our hearts rather than trust and obedience to God. Is that we, we go back and we begin to have a skewed perspective of what God has already done before us, what God has already done in our lives, what God has done in a church community. And we begin to say, well, I'm not sure about the character of God anymore. Well, I'm not sure about God's motivations anymore. But so often that is born out of a fearful response to moving out of from what's comfortable and familiar into that which is less comfortable. And my friends, I think so often we find in our discomfort our places where we're so much more open to grow. And then they feel stuck. They feel stuck. You and I can feel stuck in our fear, unable to move forward. In verse 28, the first part of verse 28, here's what they say. Where can we go? Right? We're stuck. We're stuck because I don't know God's character. I don't think I do. I don't trust it anymore. And I don't believe God's motives are loving and good or just any longer. So that, that's one of their, their obstacles is fear. An obstacle in moving forward with God in wholeness and holiness is fear. A second and final one is disbelief. You see, their fear was blended with intimidation. The spies had gone out. They had looked at the cities that were in the country and the people, and they said, these people are battle-hardened. The cities are strong. How in the world could we move forward with God? And humanly... For them, there was no way they could move forward unless they really trusted that God would go with them and ahead of them and provide for them along the way. Here's what the Bible says, verses 29 to 33. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will himself fight for you just as he did in, for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, listen, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. See, now... In addition to fear, now they've added disbelief. They're questioning the character of God. They're questioning the motivation of God. And now they feel stuck in their fear, and now they won't move forward in their disbelief. You see, disbelief really is the greatest obstacle for you and I moving forward with God. Because here it is. If you don't trust God, then you will not obey God. And without obedience... We cannot truly love God. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commands. Learning to obey God is the greatest expression of our returning His love to us. If we do not trust God, then we won't obey Him. And without obedience, we cannot truly love God. You remember the hymn, Trust and Obey? Trust and Obey. For there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is all about. How do we move through disbelief into trust? Well, number one, pray. <laughs> Talk to God about it. If you wrestle, if you, if you find your life today cemented in fear and surrounded by disbelief, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Take it to God and, and give voice to it. Find space in your life. Make space in your life to bring it before the Lord. Go and grab somebody, a Christian brother or sister, and say, would you pray with me? Because I really sense God is stirring in my heart, but I'm afraid to you fill in the blank. Or I'm really struggling with believing God. This, this bad or hard thing has happened in my life, and I'm really having a hard time trusting in the character of God. Would you pray with me? Pray with one another. And remember that uh, God's work in your life uh, and among His people, you need to remember rightly. Go back and remember where you have seen God work in your life up until now. I encourage people, and I try to remind myself so often how important it is in our life to, to have along the way our personal histories of faith with God. So that when these moments come, and I'm tempted into fear instead of uh, trust, I'm tempted into disbelief instead of faith, that I can go back and I can say, you know what, what is ahead seems really hard, and it seems so daunting. But I can look back and I, I know that God carried me here, and I know that God met me unexpectedly here, and I can go back and I can trace the places where God has touched my life, and where He's been evident in other people's lives. And that I bring that into the present. And you know what? Fear and disbelief begin to be replaced with trust and obedience and move, moving forward with God. We're about together to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, among other things, is about our human hearts. It's about our willingness to allow the presence of Jesus to touch your heart to form and shape your heart. It's an invitation to be reminded how deeply you are loved and what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. It's an opportunity again to ask and to pray, God, help me to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. As we prepare and we ask the deacons to come forward, would you take out your music sheets? We've, we've sung a song that's fairly new to us, and uh, we're going to go back and sing the first verse of that as, as a prayer to the Lord to prepare us all and to prepare our hearts to receive of this Lord's Supper.